Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. Well, the inflation that plagued the global economy with the easing of the COVID-19 pandemic has been cut down to size in recent months. But as recent events have reminded us, economic policy can be a devilishly difficult thing to manage. Fortunately, as North Carolina Budget and Tax Center fiscal and economic policy expert Patrick McHugh reminded me during a recent conversation, the Biden administration has done a solid job of getting things back up and running quickly and avoiding the kind of widespread suffering that followed so many past downturns. All that said, McHugh notes that we're far from out of the woods yet, and as the new year gets underway in earnest, there is much that policymakers, including here in North Carolina, ought to be doing to ease suffering and promote shared prosperity. Patrick McHugh, welcome back to News and Views. Top of the year to you, Rob. Boy, this is the time of year where we sort of take stock of where things are and where we're headed. Where do things stand for North Carolina workers and perhaps more generally the the economy here at the dawn of the new year? It seems like maybe there's incremental good news. Well, I think if you ask most economists that were being honest about it, the answer is weird. It's weird right now. And it's been weird for the last year. Every month you look at the economic data and you got some data that says things are going in the right direction. Wages are growing. Unemployment's at historic lows. Then you look at other data. Inflation was going crazy. Anybody who tells you with a straight face that they know what's going to happen in 2023 is either lying to you or just was encased in carbonite for the last two years uh, and didn't learn any of the lessons about, you know, our lack of understanding about the future. That said, you know, I think there are a few things that we can say. And that the first is that the worst of inflation does finally appear to be in the rearview mirror. It's been coming down for the last several months. It's not just a one or two month thing. So we got a long way to go to get it back to where it's at sort of economically healthy levels and where you don't, as a consumer and a worker, feel it every single time you go to the grocery store or what have you. But we're turning the corner on that. Uh, And we can talk more about sort of some of the factors behind that. You know, the big question is whether we can get it from where it is right now back down to the one, two, three percent range that the Fed is looking at without pushing us into a recession. And that's where you ask three economists, you're probably going to get eight different opinions uh, about what that, that looks like. And the answer is we just don't know. We just don't know. The one thing I'll say at the outset, though, is that there are some reasons to hope that we can manage what economists call a soft landing, where we can get inflation under control without uh, pushing the economy into recession. The reality is we don't have a lot of historical record to compare this to, and this is even more why you can't say we know for sure what's going to happen. But compared to where the consumer and the American worker has typically been at the outset of a recession, a lot of workers and consumers are in much better shape now then say, compare this to where we were on the eve of the Great Recession. You know, the debt ratios, debt to income ratios, the amount of credit card debt, household debt, mortgage debt that the average consumer was carrying going into that is far, far lower right now than it was Hmm. on the eve of that crisis. And a lot of that has to do with the effect of federal aid during the pandemic. You know, not only did it avert a Great Depression level economic collapse, it means that a lot of families 
have lower debt. You know, they were able to pay down some credit card debt. They were able to make some moves on their mortgages. They were able to put some money away during the pandemic. Now, that's not everybody. But that federal aid has put us in a position where we're less likely to go into a recession, even as the Fed continues to tighten interest rates. And even if we do go into a recession, hopefully it will be shallower and less severe than if we had rerun what happened in the wake of the Great Recession, where a lot of people ran up more debt surviving the downturn. And so that prolonged the recession Mm. and made it functionally years longer for a lot of people. So I think the summation of all that is we still got things to be worried about. And we can talk more about that. But Mm -hmm. we're in a better position than I think most folks would have expected a couple of years ago. And a lot of the indicators are heading in the right direction, even if there's some real serious concerns that we should still have. So the notion that has been propagated in some circles that by spending a lot of money to the federal government's relief programs that have sort of staved off the mass suffering, there's been an argument by some that, oh, that's the reason we have inflation. But I think there's now pretty clear consensus that's not what caused the inflation that's affected the global economy, right? That was a bigger problem that had to do with a lot of other issues and the federal spending on aid to people who were suffering wasn't really the principal cause of it. That's absolutely right. You know, the old saying, those who don't pay attention to history are doomed to repeat it. Well, you also, if you don't pay attention to what's going on right now, you're also going to make some bad calls. So I think it's a complicated story. You know, there is definitely some truth that there was money that the federal government spent that it didn't need to spend that did contribute to inflation. I think we have to be Mm -hmm. honest about that. A lot of businesses got bailouts that they didn't need. A lot of families that were upper income families got stimulus checks that they didn't need. That stuff did contribute to inflation. There's absolutely no question about that. That said, other forces are far more responsible for the kinds of inflation that we've seen over the last year. So, for example, Europe is dealing with higher levels of inflation than we are, and they didn't engage in quite the level of stimulus activity that the federal government in the United States did. So if you're just saying it's all about how much federal stimulus you put into the system, well, then Europe should be in much better shape than we are. But the reality is, you know, we learned a lot of lessons about the complexities and dastardly structures of the financial system during the Great Recession. We're kind of getting a similar case study lesson now about the real economy of making real stuff and shipping it across real space. And I could point to any number of examples of things that are why inflation was so high, energy prices, the invasion of Ukraine, industrial policy in China, supply chains that were built too weakly. We've been kind of, as American consumers, we've gotten used to living in a world where stuff is really cheap because we built these very, very extended supply chains that turned out to be very fragile when anything starts to go wrong. And I'll give you maybe just a couple quick examples of just how weird some of these things can get, which again, this is this is the sort of reality that the people that were going around putting those silly stickers on gas pumps that with Joe Biden saying, I did that, we're just ignoring and not acknowledging. <laughs> so I don't know if you know this, Rob, but the slowdown in computer chip manufacturing that we heard a lot about over the last year, that folks meant that they couldn't get you know their consumer devices, also resulted in a shortage of gummy bears. It resulted in a shortage of gummy bears because we had fewer computer chips. That meant fewer cars were being manufactured because we didn't have enough computer chips to go into the cars. Well, that meant that there was a lot fewer animals being slaughtered for leather seats, which meant that there was a lot less gelatin being produced as a byproduct of that animal slaughter, which meant that jelly beans, which rely upon gelatin, 
became much more scarce. So these are the sorts of complexities <laughs> that anybody who wants to say, oh, it's all just stimulus is just not acknowledging the reality that we live in. I'll give you one other quick example. And sure. this is not from right now, but from uh, the wake of the Great Recession. Great Recession rolls along. Housing construction obviously falls off a cliff, right? Uh, and as a result of that, the price of milk goes up. And the reason that the price of milk went up when housing construction fell off a cliff was that lumber mills slowed down production almost to a dead stop, which meant that there was a lot less sawdust being produced. Now, cows love to sleep in a heavy bed of sawdust. And so milk producers either had to jack up the prices of their milk because they were paying more for sawdust, or their cows weren't producing as much because they were a bunch of poorly slept, grumpy bovines that didn't get their beauty rest. And so they weren't producing as much milk. So again, the complexities of the real economy are so much more responsible for inflation. And that's why it's so hard to get our hands around from a policy point of view as well. So that's a, that's a quick answer to, yes, there was some money we didn't have to spend that contributed to inflation at the edges. But the real fundamental what got us into this circumstance had nothing to do with the stimulus that kept families with roofs over their heads and be able to feed their children. Those are some fascinating examples. And this is why we love to have one of our state's top economic policy experts, North Carolina Budget and Tax Center Research Manager, Patrick McHugh, join us here on News and Views. Patrick, so let's turn to what's ahead for North Carolina in 2023. You know, the North Carolina General Assembly can't change the global or even the national or even probably the state's economy, but they can make a difference for people who are battling the impacts of inflation and uh, unemployment and other struggles in the post-pandemic world. Talk to us about some policy priorities, perhaps, that the General Assembly ought to be looking at, even if it may be a long shot that they'll do it here in 2023. Well, this is where the, the political risks become economic risks as well. So a lot of what happened during the pandemic was the first rounds of stimulus were passed by a Republican-controlled Congress because they had a Republican president that they were trying to support. So they passed a lot of things that they probably wouldn't have otherwise. And then the later rounds of stimulus were passed by a democratically controlled Congress with a Democratic president. Well, now I think we've seen over the last week that we can't really expect a whole lot of good policymaking coming out of the House of Representatives. And so that creates an enormous risk if we do end up heading into a recession. And a recession starts hitting people who are the most vulnerable. And I think this is one of the things that's also different this time around thus far. The impacts, the negative economic impacts of Fed policy thus far of raising interest rates. Yeah, it's really rough if you're trying to buy a house, that's for sure. But most of the economic impacts have been in sectors like technology that relied upon really low interest rates to grow their businesses, that relied upon the expectation of future earnings to attract venture capital. And when interest rates go up, all of that stuff starts to grind much more slowly. And so we've seen wave after wave of layoffs at the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks of the world. Uh, Twitter's its own hot mess, but you know <laughs> we've seen a lot of layoffs in those sectors. Now, the good news is sucks to get laid off regardless, but at least a lot of the people that are losing their jobs thus far are better paid folks with a lot of other economic opportunities. And so the real harm to sort of blue collar working North Carolinians has been relatively attenuated. The problem becomes if they continue to have to raise interest rates and it gets us to a place where that really does start trickling into the real economy, you know, people who are making and moving stuff around we don't have the policy system in place to protect them in the way that federal policy stepped in in the COVID pandemic. It's kind of like 
when the French built the Maginot Line after World War I, they didn't build it in the same spot that Germany came through in the First World War. They didn't build it along the Belgian border. And it's the same thing here. The Fed stepped in and shored up unemployment insurance, created a bunch of stimulus checks, created cash that could fund rental assistance programs. But we haven't actually fixed those defensive bulwarks in North Carolina in any meaningful way. And so if the feds don't step in, then we're going to be right back to an unemployment insurance system that does not support people adequately in times of crisis. The run-up in housing prices means that a lot of people are just on a razor's edge. Any economic interruption means they're going to end up experiencing homelessness or have to move in with family or friends. We've got a lot of people that still can't afford vehicles. You know, a whole raft of things that we didn't do because the federal government was doing it during the pandemic. All of those vulnerabilities are going to come back to haunt us if we really get into a position where a recession arrives and real harm starts being experienced by, you know, working class North Carolinians. That's a sobering thought. I guess we hope and pray it doesn't come to that, but it would be nice if our North Carolina General Assembly would take some of the actions that you identified to sort of strengthen our safety net. We'd be in a better position if it does come to that. It's going to be an interesting session of the General Assembly. Fortunately, the folks at the North Carolina Budget and Tax Center, like Patrick McHugh, their research manager, will be watching closely the developments on Jones Street. They'll be writing regular commentaries and analysis and research at ncbudget.org, the North Carolina Budget and Tax Center. Be sure to check them out. Patrick, I have no doubt there'll be lots more to talk about as this session uh, moves along in 2023. We'll hope for the best and uh, look forward to hearing from you again real soon. All right. Take care, Rob. Coming up next, a look at some of the key health care policy debates confronting the North Carolina legislature in 2023. Don't go away. 